Well, tonight we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 when we get into it, but I want to talk to you a little bit about my, uh, my trip. I, um, um, if, you, if you want to go back and look at some pictures of my trip, you've got a pen in your hand, you might want to write this down. Uh, you've got to join Facebook to do this, which is free, but uh, I have an address that is Facebook, www.facebook.com slash Ralph Moore Hawaii. And uh, I, I've been posting pictures the whole time I'm there and little comments. And so you can kind of keep up to the trip and follow me on all my trips. I, I, I can't come back and put together a slideshow because I only like got back yesterday and been jet lagged out of my brain. And so, uh, I, but I can put stuff on. And then in a few weeks, I'll, I'll make together a, a Mission Hope newsletter so you get a real sound thing. But I, I, I went to... Uh, it, the, the easy flight was the one from here to San Francisco. That was the short one. That was only four and a half for five hours. Uh, then I flew like uh, ten and a half hours to Frankfurt. I stayed overnight in Frankfurt. It wasn't too cold. Um, and then I flew 14 hours to uh, Cape Town, South Africa, and was there for about five days. I, I did a, a pastor seminar, did a men's uh, breakfast, and, and then preached in church. And then that night, jumped on a plane for an 11-hour flight to Dubai uh, was three hours being processed. I never got a chance to sit still at all in the Dubai airport. Uh, it's the largest airport in the world. We traveled a half hour on a bus from the plane to the door of the building when they let us in. And then they put us through security. And, and then we finally got to go and run for the other plane and then fly for nine hours across the African continent to the Ivory Coast. Uh, where every day, every minute of every day was like Kanyoi on the hottest, most humid day that you have ever experienced. And we were in a building, uh, much the shape of this one, although quite a bit larger. They fill it every Sunday one time. Um, it's concrete block up to about here, and then there's about three feet of nothing, and then there's a tin roof over the top and no insulation. And I want you to know it's an oven in there. And, uh, and then from there... Uh, after two days of that, uh, the second night, I, I uh, ran to the airport, jumped on a plane, flew all night. Three nights, I had to fly all night. Uh, flew all night to Brussels, and then uh, was five hours in Brussels, and then flew um, from Brussels another eight hours to Chicago, and then overnighted in Chicago, and then nine hours home yesterday. It was, uh, it was quite a haul. Uh, I, 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 it was good for me because I got to see how really, truly huge Africa is. We think of Africa as about like the size of the United States. Uh, we're kidding ourselves. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's mammoth, that continent. It's incredible. And um, it was interesting, you know, uh, we, we Americans tend to, every picture you see, you see of Africa, you see of either violence or poverty. And um, uh, it's certainly not true. Uh, most of where I was at in the Ivory Coast, it was abject poverty. If you go on Facebook, you'll see a picture of the entrance to my hotel, and it's unlike any hotel you've ever seen in your life. The room was quite nice, but the outside was really something. Uh, horrible poverty. And this is a country that was, the, the, they called it the Pearl of West Africa. It's gone through wars. It's gone through disastrous governments. And, and people are poor there, and they're well-educated. There are people with PhDs and no jobs. Um, uh, same uh, to some degree is true in South Africa uh, that, that there, there are people that are brilliantly educated that are having a hard time finding a job but South Africa is beautiful it's like San Diego on steroids I mean it, it is phenomenal 
And the South African government is trying to provide housing for everybody. So people are moving from other places in Africa. They live in these little shanty towns. The government gives them free land until they can build a house for them, a small house, but they're building houses for them. It was a very, very uh, different situation. I will go back. Uh, I will make two trips out of it the next time, though. Um, and I will probably go to the Congo. They're still having a war in the Congo, but two years from now, the war should be done and ready to go. The thing that I found that impressed me the most in Africa was, uh, for one thing, the leaders in South Africa, uh, we only had about 25 guys. Uh, the guy is a pastor. He planted the church off of our church planting material from here. Uh, he, thought, he thought he knew me long before I knew him because he'd been listening to my voice over and over and over on cassette. And um, <clears throat> he's overseeing five nations, and he's not just overseeing and governing, he's making disciples and they're planting churches and it's pretty amazing. What's amazing is for a denominational leader to actually be functioning as a pastor because quite often they're sitting behind a desk in an air-conditioned office while everybody else is out there struggling. And um, when I went to the Ivory Coast, <clears throat> which was just an afterthought really, uh, it, we, we bolted on, uh, I, I, I was there two nights, taught one whole day, and then taught until the afternoon of the next day. Uh, we did an ordination service for a guy and then, and then ran to the airport. And, uh, but the ordination service was for the president of the country uh, in terms of the denomination. And oh, by the way, the former president of the country was attending the, the church that I was in until he got booted out of office. Um, but um, the guy that's the president of the denomination, who I've known for a number of years, uh, he's getting ready to go out and plant a church. And that just doesn't happen. I mean, denominational officials lorded over everybody. This, these guys are in the trenches with everybody else. I, I was so, so impressed with that. And the other thing that I was impressed with is their knowledge of the scripture. I, 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 I make a habit of going around the world uh, confusing people by asking them questions about their Bible and making them talk to each other before they talk to me. And they, they come away going, it's like I never read the book of Acts before. They actually made disciples and they planted churches. And that's what this thing is really all about. And that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Because most pastors in the world are trying to build the biggest church in town. They don't care about multiplying the church and really touching the world. Am I making sense when I say that? I mean, that's all I'm doing when I'm going out there is, is this. And, and I do it by, you know, I used to go out there and preach at them. And, and they would all be kind of like, we're not buying it. And so I changed, and I started asking questions, and my deal is to show them how ignorant they are of the Scripture, uh, and, 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 then, and then they come up with these answers, and then, and then I make them start writing down plans of what they're going to do, and we've had some amazing results. Well, the, the frustration that I had in Africa was I couldn't confuse them. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, getting a, I'm trying to set up a question for them to sit and discuss at the table. Somebody pops off with the right answer. Boom, 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 boom. And it was happening over and over again. It was just amazing. But we were really on the same wavelength. It was just so cool. But they were so hungry. And what, what turned out was I didn't think I taught them anything. What I did was some white guy from a rich country came in and patted him on the back and said, you're doing a good thing over here uh, in spite of the suffering that you're going through. And that meant a huge amount to them. And I came away from there with some really, really beautiful friends and some wonderful memories. And I will go back. And, and it is a hardship. you got to know. It's, it ain't like I'm going to Ukraine next month. 
Um, Ukraine is very different. Everywhere I go, usually I, I go to poverty-stricken areas. I'm going to a big church in Ukraine. I will be driven around by in a Mercedes Benz. Uh, but they're a church that has a vision. They want to be like us. They planted 40 churches. Their pastor is 40 years old. They want to run that up to 1,000 during their pastor's lifetime. Uh, it's worth going back to that place. Um, but, but I was in the exact opposite of that in the Ivory Coast. Uh, abject poverty everywhere. Incredible people. Incredible, incredible people. And so if you want to see some pictures, uh, go on my Facebook thing. Uh, I keep it up. I, 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 I'm on there almost every day. And uh, uh, I'd like for the church to know what's going on. And it's, it's an easy way to, to do it. It's facebook.com slash Ralph Moore Hawaii and uh, that'll keep us in touch while I'm on my trips. Is this good? Yes. Well I have a question for y'all. How many of you bought your meat this week at the local temple and the meat was sacrificed to an idol before you bought it? None of you? Well we're doing really good. We're doing really good. Um, this, the scripture tonight is about that, and you're going to have to extrapolate. Well, I'm going to help you, but you're going to have to extrapolate. There's a larger message here than don't eat meat that's offered to idols, and, and, and it, it's a message like don't drink alcohol in front of an alcoholic. Uh, don't go see a movie and, that is uh, an R-rated movie and then make somebody stumble because you as a Christian went to this movie that they consider uh, something severely wrong. Be careful how you live your life. Love one another is really what it's about. You know, if you went to Nepal with me, I'll be going there next year in January. If you went to Nepal with me, uh, they have a Hindu temple there, and they offer sacrifices um, that, to their gods every day. And every day they, they kill a whole bunch of animals at the temple. And um, I'm not sure if you can buy the meat at the temple or not after, but in ancient Corinth, they sacrificed all these, these, these animals on a daily basis to these demonic gods that they were worshiping. We're going to read scripture tonight that say they're just an idol. They're not really a god. And then we're going to read another scripture that says, but actually when people are worshiping the idols, they're worshiping a demon. They're worshiping a true spiritual entity that's doing weird things in their life. And we want nothing to do with that. But Paul's going to say to us, that the idol is really nothing to us. And to eat the meat is no problem, it's, it, even if it's offered as a sacrifice to an idol. But if you eat it and it causes somebody who thinks it is a problem to stumble in their faith and lose out on their walk with God, then you have violated your conscience, you've violated the Lord, uh, you've violated your relationship with that person, that we need to put other people first and we need to, to, to be willing to sacrifice ourselves a little bit for somebody else. Did I mention that in ancient Corinth, meat that was offered to idols was cheaper to buy than meat that was bought at Safeway? And so Paul is actually asking the guys, spend a little more bucks for your, for your breakfast or your lunch or your dinner here, but do it in a way that it doesn't cause somebody to be hurt by what you've done. Watch out for your actions because they affect other people and the way that they're going to live their life and their walk with the Lord. Well, let's go and take a look at it. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse one says, now regarding your question, they had apparently written to him before. Uh, we believe there were three letters to the church at Corinth, but only two of them were considered worthy of scripture. 
And so they had written a letter prior to 1 Corinthians. And he says, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Another translation says, knowledge makes not just, doesn't say knowledge makes us feel important. It says, knowledge puffs up. You know, you, there, there are people on the internet that got so much knowledge about God and they want to argue with everything. I, I wrote a question um, on my Facebook account about why do you suppose that Africa has been left behind the rest of the world? I mean, this wonderful continent, super rich in natural resources, brilliant people, and, and, and yet they're just kind of left behind. And uh, people started putting their opinions, and then some, some real left-wing guy jumps on there and starts attacking everybody else and and he writes and then he writes again and then he writes again and he writes it's really funny and uh he, he's just kind of trying to mow everybody down with his knowledge well knowledge puffs up knowledge puffs people up makes them feel self-important he says regarding this question about food that's been offered to idols yes we know that we all have knowledge about this issue but while knowledge may make us feel important it is love that strengthens the church. It is love that strengthens the church. Underline that in your Bible. I highlighted in my electronic Bible up here. Anyone who claims to know or be aware of all the answers doesn't really know very much. Anybody who thinks they've got it all wired is just proving that they don't know very much. If you think you know everything there is about God, you don't know very much. Uh, if you want to find people who think they know everything about God, just go on the internet and look up any subject having to do with Christianity and you'll find people on there pontificating. They write huge, long things. You know how you can usually tell somebody's a little nutty? Is if they never make a paragraph break. <laughs> if you go on the internet and there's a website and it goes on and on and on and on and on and it's all one paragraph, um, then, then they probably aren't really worth, really worth doing. If they got an attitude, they probably aren't worth listening to. They probably aren't worth listening to. Knowledge puffs up. Love strengthens the church. That's the main message here tonight anyway. Anyone who claims to know or be aware of all the answers and doesn't really, they don't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one who God recognizes. The person who loves God is the one who God recognizes. Well, how, how do we know we love God? Well, in John 15, you know, I, 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 this, is, this is just my own little personal story. I, 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 I used to struggle. I'm not a real emotional person. My wife will tell you that. I'm I'm loyal, but I'm not emotional. I, I don't just, you know, get all excited about stuff. And I mean, I bought my wife the most beautiful box of chocolates in Belgium uh, two days ago. And I came home and I haven't opened my suitcase. I haven't given them to her yet. <laughs> I was thinking about her. <laughs> but um, what was I going to say? I forgot what I was going to tell you. Oh. No, I'm in real trouble. I, I had a story I was going to tell you, and I completely forgot. I'm jet lagged. You've got to forgive me. Um, I'll just go on without it. <laughs> Maybe it'll come, you know. I mean, early Alzheimer's here. Um, I have a couple of, 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 of scriptures that I want to read to you. One is in 1 John chapter 4, and you might just write the address down in your Bible there, and you could look at it later, but it's verses 7 and 8, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
Can it be said clearer? If you don't love your brother, you don't really love God, for God is love. And I remembered the story I was going to tell you. <laughs> I, was, um, I, I went through a period where I was struggling that, I, do I really love God? You know, Tom gets up here, and every week it's so obvious that he just, he's just full of, you know, the love of the Lord. He's just all excited. And, and, uh, and, and, and I've got this sort of dumpy personality, and so I don't have a lot of uh, enthusiasm. I don't have a whole lot of uh, feelings in, in, my, in my faith in the Lord. I have deep faith and I have deep loyalty, but I don't have deep, you know, I, I, I guess I have deep feelings, but I don't have, I don't have I'm not emotional. And so it was bothering me. And, and, and so one day I was reading First John, or excuse me, John chapter 15, and, and Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And I go, I'm in. Stop and think about it. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. I'm in. I, 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 I obey the Lord. I'm loyal to the Lord. I do what he asked me to do. You know, I don't get paid for going to these other countries and doing this thing. I was shocked. They took an offering for me in the Ivory Coast. There were a hundred some guys. And they all, they, had, they made a big ceremony. They had a big bucket. It was all velvet covered and everything. And they all walked up and they put money in. And, and these guys are making sacrifice. I mean, they're poor people. And uh, afterwards, the, the president of the denomination of the, uh, for the country comes to me, and, and, and he said he was very embarrassed. And, and he had a card, and, and he said, this is a widow's mite. Um, we, we, it's a token of our, our love for you. It's not very much. And, and they, they gave me $120. That meant that each person put in about a dollar. And uh, for them, it was, it, was, it was a big deal. It was a very, very, very big deal. Usually... I, 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 I go to Mongolia, they'll give me a, a, a postcard, and then they take and glue sticks around the edge of it, and it's a picture of horses grazing in Mongolia. That's to say thank you for traveling all those hours to come here and do this. I, 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 I do this because I love God and I love his people. You know, I happen to be the pastor of a church that allows me the freedom to do this, and I do the Mission Hope thing. People give me the money to do it, because so they don't have to pay anything where I go. They don't pay. They pay the, for the hotel. It's the only thing I require is that is that 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 they put me up. I don't even care if I stay in a barn as long as I stay alone because I snore. But um, uh, it's but but I realized that day, I, I'm in. I love God. And the way I know I love God is I do what he tells me to do, and I, that means loving people who sometimes aren't real loving. Sometimes people are hard to love. Do you love them? Because if you do, you love God. Do you hate them? Because if you do, you don't love God. It's real simple. And so he says here, put your brother first. And, and if your brother gets bummed about about you eating this kind of meat stuff, well, then don't do that. If he gets bummed out about other things, you have to extrapolate here. Don't do that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 21 says, He has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. James chapter 3, verse 17. The wisdom from above. I mean, you know, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge that's applied and makes sense. Knowledge is knowledge. He says the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving. It's gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace, and they will reap a harvest of righteousness. Well, it's telling you how to live your life, how to, how to, how to really care for other people, and, 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 that, and that you have a pure kind of love. 
You know, I can remember one time when we were early into the Hope Chapel experience. We were, this was way back in California. We had probably been in church for about four or five years, and we were growing, and uh, we were getting in the newspaper, and we were putting on TV, and all these things were going on, and it was just blowing us away. We didn't know what to do, and, and uh, we were just a bunch of hippie kids trying to have church and love God, and, and, um, and, and, and then some older people started coming to our church, and that was really cool because they actually trusted in us, and, and uh, we went away for a retreat once. We had a, a church council retreat, and, and several of the members of the church council were a little bit older than actually the pastoral staff. And one of our young pastor guys, uh, his name was Gary, got into a fight with the wife of one of the church council members because she grew up in a very, very strict Christian tradition where she never touched a drop of alcohol in her life. Now, the Bible clearly says, don't get drunk with wine. But it also says, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. It says, don't get drunk with wine wherein is excess. In other words, a little alcohol in moderation is okay, but don't get drunk on the stuff. You with me? That's biblical. So that's knowledge. But here's a lady who grew up being taught that alcohol was evil and she should have nothing to do with alcohol. I don't know, there may have been people in her family that struggled with alcohol and that may have added to it. And this young kid beat her over the head with his knowledge of the scripture. I mean, he just came at her. Boom, 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 boom. And he was right and she was wrong. Except he was wrong and she was right. Because he just beat her up. All he did was parade his knowledge and use it like a club to destroy this woman. And he destroyed our meeting. She ended up in tears. Everybody's there. All, all polarized. Half the people are mad at him. Half the people are thinking he's right and, and, and she needs to grow up. And, and, and it, was just, it, it was the most destructive thing you could possibly see. And then he wised up and apologized. He wised up and apologized, and he was sincere about it, and, 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 and she was able to accept it, and there was healing that was brought to us that day, and we, we, we learned an indelible lesson that, that, that stuff isn't very important, and our opinions aren't very important. The person sitting next to you is very, very important, and we've got to love each other. It's what God's calling us to do. Am I making sense? Well, going on down here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 again, verse 4. He says, so what about eating meat that's been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god, and that there is only one god. There may be so-called gods, both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. He's actually talking about demons, which are angels that rebelled against God and fell, and they are much inferior to God. They would be gods with a small g, but they would be alive, they would be real, and they would hurt you. And so he says, we know that there is only one God, the Father, who created everything, and we live for him. There is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom God made everything and through whom we have been given life. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. In other words, he's going to say to us later, the idol isn't anything, but there is a demon that the people are worshiping when they worship the idol. So the idol itself can hurt you. So he says, some are accustomed to idols being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods. They think by eating the food, they're worshiping a god, a false god. And their weak consciences are violated. Now, did you notice he says they're weak consciences? 
Now he actually comes out and says that the person who's got a conscience against eating meat that's offered to idols has got a weak conscience. In other words, the stronger Christian with a stronger conscience can go ahead and eat the meat that's offered to idols. No problem. But you sure better not let the other guy know you're doing it because you're going to bum his trip and we don't want to do that to him. So Paul can call the person weak, but he's not putting him down. And he's telling you and I, if they're weak about this thing, don't you put them down. And don't you do anything that's going to cause them to trip up and to stumble and go, oh my gosh, that guy did it. You know, or to look at you. I mean, how many of us uh, might have been accused of hypocrisy at some time or another just because we, we did something and somebody else who had a weaker conscience said, well, that guy claims to be a Christian. He did this. And we're just kind of going along our merry way. He, he says, now, I mean, you could turn this thing into a trap and you could get so scared that you wouldn't move. But, but he's basically saying, be aware, be alert, look out for the other guy. So he says, however, in verse 7, not all believers know this, that idols are nothing. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that's been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods. And their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. In other words, eating the food that's the meat that's offered to idols, if you don't eat it, it's not going to hurt you. If you don't gain anything, if you do eat it, but you must be careful so that your freedom doesn't cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. The issue here is that you don't want to cause somebody to stumble. You don't want to bum them out by whatever you do, by whatever movies you watch, by whatever kind of entertainment you seek, by whatever activities you're involved, don't, don't hurt the other guy. In Psalm 115, verse 4, it says this, verses 4 to 8, the idols are merely things of silver and gold, shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. Their eyes cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. They have noses that cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel and feet that cannot walk and throats that can't make a sound, and those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. The idols are nothing, and the people who make them and think of them, are, are, they're not getting anything out of it. However, uh, they are, there is this whole demonic thing, uh, and we need to be very, very, very careful of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19, this is really an important one. Write this one down in the margin of your Bible. He says this, same, same book, 1 Corinthians, it's two chapters later. He says, what am I trying to say? <clears throat> He's talking about another thing here. Kind of the same thing from another angle. He says, I'm saying that food offered to idols has some significance. Or that idols are real gods? No, I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. In other words, the idol is nothing. But the people that are involved in the worship of the idol thing are actually not knowingly, but they're, 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 they're caught up in demonism. And it's going to get them, and it would get you, so you want to stay away from that, and uh, you want to be spiritually mature. Again, Christians have mixed views, drinking, smoking, music, movies, even food. Uh, we need to be cautious of our brother. To, to me, the way that I take that is, um, I, there's some people in, in my life that, that I care about dearly, that I've had huge struggle with alcohol in their life, and they've overcome. They're much like the lady we saw in the video. I would never take a drink of wine in front of them. I wouldn't want to do anything to, 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 to cause them to stumble and fall. I want to be careful of myself because I don't want to 
drag them down a pathway that would cause them to fall. I want to prefer them over my own feelings or my own things. It might be right for me, but if it's wrong for them, I'm going to say no to it. Am I making sense? So I'm saying the same thing kind of over and over, but uh, going on, that's, that's where it's at. So um, you kind of take one for the team. Verse 10, it says, If you see others with your superior knowledge eating the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate? If, excuse me, if others see you with your superior knowledge eating the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food? that's been offered to an idol. If they see you eating food offered to an idol, wouldn't they think about eating food offered to an idol and then violate their conscience? If they see you drinking and they have a conscience against drinking, won't that tempt them and won't that cause them to, to lose out? Don't do this thing. It'll hurt them. Verse 11, So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something that they believe is wrong, you're sinning against Christ. If you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something that is wrong, you're sinning against Christ. We've had a person who was in leadership in our church some time ago, and we found that he was actually taking young people out and making a joke out of encouraging kids to get drunk at clubs and mocking them if they wouldn't. Mocking them if they wouldn't. Well, we removed him in a hurry. Uh, this, this is horrible. It, 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 I mean, just... You, 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 people are coming to church to find freedom, and this guy's trying to wind him up in bondage, um, and he has no place here among us. He has no place among us. He's gone. Verse 13, so if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I'd never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Romans chapter 14 talks about this in verse 13. It says, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide, in, decide instead to live in such a way that you'll not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and I am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it's wrong, then for that person it's wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Now, here's the deal. Love always involves the word sacrifice. And love almost always involves the word compromise. I must be willing to give up something for you in terms of sacrifice, in terms of compromise. I don't hold to my position. I've got to yield to the other person. I've got to care about the other person. I've got to, you know, the, the, the Bible says in another place that we should each one treat the other as more important than ourselves. You want to get along in a marriage? That's why you do it. Uh, you know, you don't do 50-50 in a marriage. You know what you call a 50-50 marriage proposition? A divorce. You split everything 50-50. If, if your marriage is about 50-50, well, you're on the way to divorce. Marriage should be about 100%, 100%. I consider her important, more important than me. She considers me more important than her. We get along just fine. We do really, really well. But it's because we've each decided that the other is more important than ourself. And not just in the relationship, either in life. And if we live our lives that way toward one another, then we're going to be just happy campers and we're going to continue to be a church where people come and they find love. They find real love. And it changes their lives. Um, you know, we're, this Easter is, 
We're going to be talking a lot about transformation. We're going to show you some videos coming up to this about people like the one you saw tonight, the lady you saw tonight. Uh, I, I, I remember a night when we were having mini church next door to her house, and as we were breaking up, she was yelling at us because we were making noise outside, getting in our cars. And I remember thinking, she's hopeless. She's absolutely hopeless. I know her son. I was feeling sorry for the boy. She just lost her husband. He just lost his father. I was feeling so sad about it. I had no knowledge of the transformation in this lady's life until I sat here in church tonight and watched that video. It blew my doors off. This is what we're supposed to be about. This is what we're supposed to be about. Everything changes because of Jesus. And if I'm doing anything to take away from what the Lord's trying to do in people's lives, and there's something severely wrong with me, we're supposed to be about loving one another. And it takes compromise. It takes sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight in the name of your son, Jesus. and We bring you our love. We bring you our loyalty. We bring you our commitment. But Lord, we bring you our lives. And if there's any place that we're doing anything, any one of us, that's causing somebody else to stumble, please show us. And please give us the courage and the, and, and the, the concern enough to be willing to change and to live our lives in a right way, in a righteous way. God, we, we don't want to be bellicose. We don't want to be people who are standing up yelling for what we believe. We want to just be people who are living what we believe. But part of what you've called us to live is love toward one another. And even though in the scripture twice tonight we've read that the brother who has the problem with the stuff, whatever it is, is called the weaker person. And that would mean that the person who has no problem with it is called the stronger person. You're asking the stronger person to lay their life down for the weaker person. Lord, help us to be mature enough to do that. Mature in your love. Be the kind of people you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Now keep your eyes closed for a minute. And we're going to pray again if there's people who want to pray. As you sat here in church tonight, and we've talked about this subject, that really, in a way, is so far out. I mean, they, nobody's offering meat to idols anywhere on Oahu. And yet, the implications of it, when we talk it through, are huge. And you think of the God who authors this kind of love. That God has to be appealing to you. This is the God, the Bible says, so loved the world, the people in the world, that he gave his only begotten son, the only son who was born of God, Jesus, who never rebelled against God, because that's what the word sin means, simply is to go, I don't need God in my life, I can do my own thing. I get, I get along just fine. And that God gave his only son, who never sinned against him, to lay down his life as a sacrifice. See, we don't have to offer sacrifices to God anymore because God offered Jesus as a sacrifice to himself. And somehow, when he went to that cross, he took all of our guilt on himself. And then he could say to us, you're free, you're free. I forgive you, but more than forgive you, I, I have the power 
to free you from alcohol, to free you from drugs, to free you from pornography, to free you from anger. I can set you free. And it's that same God that we've been reading about tonight because as we've been reading about learning to love each other and sacrifice for each other, the Bible says, we read it, that God is love. God is love. So when you think of everything that's good about love, you're getting close to starting to think about God. God is love. God loves you. And God wants to transform you. God wants to make something of your life. And if you'd like to say yes to God, because the only way you can really do this, you can't do this by joining a church. It's not about religion. It's about a friendship with God. It's by saying, God, I, I, I'm willing to turn over the leadership. Here's the keys to the car called my life. I'm willing to turn up the leadership of my life over to you. I'll sit in the back seat while you drive. Then I'd like to lead you in a prayer to tell him that. And I'll pray out loud. You pray silently, but you hitchhike on my words. And we'll pray together that way. And so if you'd like to pray to invite the Lord to become central in your life, not just somebody that's out there that you know about, but central in your life, hand him the keys to the car. Then I would like to lead you in a prayer to say so. And if you would like to pray with me, I, uh, I'd just like to let, have you let me know that we're going to pray together. Everybody has their eyes closed around you, but I'm looking. And if you want to pray, I'm going to count to three. I want you to raise your hand. And that will tell me that we're going to pray together. If not, then we'll just go home. So one, two, three. I see one person, two people. Good. Let's pray. God, thank you for the fact that I'm here tonight. Thank you for the things that I've been hearing and the things that I've been thinking. Because I believe that you've been weighing on my mind. You've been causing me to think the thoughts that are going through my mind. I thank you for that. I pray that your blessing would come into my life. That you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, tonight I saw this wonderful, warm-hearted, beautiful woman on the screen giving her testimony about how you changed her life. And she felt she wasn't just ready, but you changed her anyway. And God, I'm asking you to do that kind of thing in my life. That you would change my life. That you'd make my life count for something. I surrender to you tonight. I ask you to forgive me for turning my back on you. And I ask you to join with me. In fact, I'm told that my body can become a temple of the Spirit of God. That you'd come and live inside of me. That you'd make a way for me. To transform me into something new and good and purposeful. Make my life count. I surrender to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.